Amen. Thank you to our worship team for leading us into God's presence uh, tonight. And again, we just want to say a special welcome to those of you that... Um, that are visiting with us tonight that have never been here before. We want you to know that you are in the right place and you are welcomed for this to be your second home as well. You are in the right place. We know that because throughout history, at least throughout God's story, Jesus has a habit of showing up in some of the most unlikely places and making these major events of his life in the most unlikely places. When he is first born, he's born and laid in a feeding trough, in a barn, in the middle of nowhere. And then, tonight, we remember the fact that essentially Calgary or Golgotha, this hill outside of the city, was basically the city dump. Definitely a place not fit for a king. And then a few days later, he says, well, I'll just ruin my own funeral and come back and show up in a garden, in a, in a graveyard, in a tomb. Jesus has a habit of showing up in some of the most unlikely places, and so we know that we're on the right track here because you are sitting in a former used car dealership. So there's a good track record that Jesus' presence is here, and he is showing up in a major way tonight, so you are in the right place if you are wondering about that. Well, most likely by now, you've probably got a lot of your Easter plans made. If you haven't already, gearing up for Easter is becoming a lot like gearing up for Christmas if you walk into Walmart, you've, you've known that the, the Easter candy and the baskets and all the stuff has been out since January, uh, being ready to go so that you can be fully prepared for Easter. You've probably prepped the house. If you're having company, you've made those plans for your Easter brunch, your Easter dinner, or whatever it is that you're doing. Growing up, preparing for Easter, for myself and my brother being pastor's kids, that for some reason, if you were a pastor's kid, that you got a new pair of khaki pants and a bright colored polo shirt that your mom made you tuck in and hike up your pants so that you kind of looked like Urkel or something like that. And that's what I remember for Easter. But why wouldn't we, right? Easter's almost here. Lent has been this 40-day journey that we've been on as a church, really as Christians all over the world. Think about that fact tonight. We've been on the same journey, and there are millions millions of Christians gathering right now all across the world in all sorts of different places to remember this night. Because it's time for Easter, right? The 40 days are, are up and we're all, the time is almost here. And so how easy would it be for us to simply rush to the end of the story and get to the good stuff? Because I want you to think for a moment tonight. Just think about the stories that you love the most whether it's a book, a novel, or a movie that you've recently seen or that's been a favorite since you were a child. Think about for a moment the plot of those movies, the movies you could just watch over and over and over again. Think about that for a second. I think a large part of what draws us to those movies, I have mine, you have your favorites, is that we know the end. <laughs> you wouldn't love the movie if it was a buzzkill at the end. You love it because you know what's coming. You know the end of the story. And so I remember growing up how frequently I would get to that point in my favorite movie and those favorite stories where I would not want to watch it because it's the dark part. It's the scary part. And when the darkness sets in or the evil seems to be having its way, well, I just want to skip over it. And so they invented this amazing thing called a remote control. And if you have that power, 
you can simply fast forward. So that's what I did. I actually had the time code memorized to get past the scary parts, to get part, past the parts that I didn't want to see. I just wanted to get to the end. And somehow that was supposed to be good enough. And when that time code hit, I'd hit play, and then I'd witness the great ending because I didn't want to live in the tension. Our culture has a very difficult time with waiting, with slowing down, with being still. We just want immediate satisfaction. We want immediate gratification. And tonight could not be more of the opposite. We long for that so bad. All the great stories, they follow this plot. Things were once good, then evil enters the story. Something terrible goes wrong. And even though we know in the end it works out, we don't like to live in the tension. And some of you, you're there right now. The stories we love have that plot because yours does. And some of you right now are in the not yet of life. You're not to the end of the story yet. You haven't, I'm guessing you haven't got all of your desires in this life met so far. If you have, that's awesome. Praise God. But I think for a majority of us, we wish there was a remote control for life. That when those times come that are stressful or overwhelming or things aren't going well for you, if you're in one of those right now, some of you are like, give me that remote because I want to be done with this. Whatever it is that you're going through, a broken relationship, tension in your marriage, sickness, illness, disease, whatever it is, I want to be, can we? Good Friday forces us to slow down, to stop, and remember. Any story finds its power in the magnitude of what had to be overcome. You lose the punch. You lose the power if you fast forward through the difficult parts. That's the power of the story. It comes with a price. And so it is with God's story. Tonight we set our sights on an old Roman cross. Not, I pray for you, not just a symbol, not something that you have a necklace or a piece of jewelry. That, oh, that's cute. Way more than just a religious tradition. Way more than just something we do here tonight so that we can get on to Easter. No, that cross is the very center of our faith. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And if you think about it, this is crazy. This is crazy, what we're doing here tonight. We have gathered to celebrate an instrument of torture. Nothing about this makes sense on the surface level. In fact, if you dig into the history a little bit of these empires, such as Rome was during the life of Jesus, and empires long before Rome, they weren't the first ones to use the cross as an instrument of torture. They Empires would use it almost, they would say, you could say it was an ancient billboard. The reason they did this publicly to criminals of all sorts was to lift them up in the public square or on the hill outside of town 
as a giant billboard like you're driving down Interstate 235 and that billboard with a, somebody suffering on that cross, crucified, as if to say, this is who is king. Don't forget who's in charge here. Don't forget who the king is. <laughs> they had no idea. But neither would we. On the surface, it looks like Jesus has no power tonight. Dig a little bit deeper. He has all the power. Oh, it was a billboard, all right. Letting us know who's king. It just wasn't the man hanging on the cross that they thought was the true king. Changes everything. That's why we celebrate the cross, because without the cross, there is no tomb. Without Friday, there is no Sunday. Without death, there is no new life for us. Paul goes on to say in all of his letters, if you take out the cross from Christianity, everything else crumbles. You have nothing. There's a lot of things we can argue and debate about that are maybe a little bit less important. If we don't have the cross, we have nothing. That's the reason why in all of our, all of our campuses at Lutheran Church Hope, we have a giant cross at the center of our stage somewhere. People asked me when we built this building, they said, John, don't you think the cross is a little bit too big? And I said, no, I think it should be bigger. I think it should be so obnoxiously large that you can't ignore it. Because if we don't have the cross, we got nothing. <laughs> Life doesn't make sense. There's no hope. The cross is for you. It's not this generic message of love it's for you. And so today I want you, <laughs> I want to invite you to live in the tension a bit, just for tonight, and be fully present to what God wants to show you. To maybe think about this symbol that we see so often. Maybe the cross has become ordinary to you. Maybe it has become mundane. It's old. It's an old Roman cross. But Jesus wants to do something brand new in your heart tonight. And so tonight we don't start at the cross, we actually start in the garden. The garden of Gethsemane where this story takes a dramatic turn and we find an innocent man, an innocent man, willingly turning himself over to the authorities. Let's begin our passion story tonight. Something about those eyes. You know, he didn't have to do this, and yet, staring into the face of one of his closest friends for the last three years, there's not hatred or anger in those eyes. There's compassion and love. It's those eyes. Those eyes of Jesus that not only see you, but almost pierce right through your heart that they can see into the deepest and darkest places of who you are. Those eyes. But how did we get here? How did we get to this place where an innocent man is hours away from death on a cross? Well, much has happened to get us to this point. Good Friday is just the crux of the story. There's this whole story that's been going on, and if we don't understand the rest of the story, we won't understand Good Friday. And so, as our friend Paul Harvey used to say, we need to know the rest of the story. 
this story that you and I are living in tonight that God has been writing, it doesn't start with sin. It doesn't start with evil. It doesn't start with darkness. It starts with light. It starts with life. It starts with an invitation of life. Beauty, joy, freedom, peace, joy, just held out in front of us, saying, this is the offer for you. And God says, choose life. He gave us these hearts that are willing to choose. And what kind of God would create beings like that that have a choice that they don't have to just go along? Well, a God that didn't want robots that would just fall in line and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Parents, you know this, how much more powerful it is when out of nowhere your child comes up to you and says, I love you. As a parent, it just melts your heart instead of you saying, can you say that you love me? It seems a little forced. God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want machines. He wants people. He wants people with hearts. But this is where our story takes a dramatic turn, and the, 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 the plot is the same today as it was long ago. We bite the fruit. We rebel. We return the other, We walk the other way. Sin enters the story, and it hasn't left. And we can try to deny it. We can try to hide it. We can try to minimize it. We can try to sweep it under the rug. But if we are honest with ourselves, in this world, things are not as they should be. War, disease, famine, death, hate, pain, broken relationships, the list goes on and on and on. And you can watch it on the evening news, you can read about it in the newspaper, or you can just look inside your heart. I think if we're honest, we know that we are not as we we are meant to be either. There is this deadly sickness that all of us have caught. It's called sin. And so let me just pause right there before I go further because I know I've been there. I've been sitting in your seat right now and you're thinking, okay, here comes the right hook. Here comes the punch. I came to a Good Friday service and this is the point where the pastor gets up and tells me what a dirty, rotten sinner I am. Yep, that's this point. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. But we also have a great Savior. And that's why we're here tonight. Because there's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Something's wrong if we leave here tonight not feeling a little bit convicted because that's healthy and it leads to repentance and it leads to change in our lives. That's conviction. That's wholly healthy conviction. Condemnation is totally different. Condemnation is from the evil one. It's not from God. So if you leave here tonight feeling more weighted down by your sin and your guilt and your shame than when you came, that's not from this God that died for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I think it's okay to stop here, even as Lutherans, I know, we're so big on grace that we like to just jump to the good news. But you're forgiven! boy, we're not going to grasp the power of love, of forgiveness, unless we understand what we're being forgiven from. We will never understand how good the good news is two days from now on Easter unless we stop and remember how bad the bad news is. This became pretty personal for me in a really strange way earlier this year when we were... uh, 
constructing this building. And I had lots of different teams going on, and one of those teams that was of volunteers from the church that helped remodel this building was the cross team. And so we would have lots of meetings and sit around, and some of them were woodworkers and construction workers, and some of them were more interior designers and, and things like that, people that are used to designing big buildings and homes. And I said, I want a cross. And they said, what kind of a cross? And I go, I don't know. I thought there was only one kind of cross, right? Two pieces of wood, and you put, this is a cross, right? We're pretty used to this. And so they start making up these different mock crosses for me as well. You could have it like this, and you could have this stain or that stain or this varnish or that varnish, or, you know, it could be rough, it could be prickly, it could be smooth, it could be texture, you know, and I'm like, I just wanted a cross, right? So we're sitting around, I'm in all these meetings, and we're sitting around the table one day, passing around these different things, and I just kind of stopped and went, what are we doing? What are we doing? And somebody from the other side of the table and said, yeah, should we pray? And I said, heaven forbid we pray about the cross. I mean, jeez, kind of a meeting is this, right? So we did, and we prayed, and, you know, usually guys, we like to keep it together, especially pastors. Pastors don't pray Well, I started praying, and then somebody else started praying, and then I started, I just started weeping. And I said, God, I'm so sorry, because this is not just another piece of artwork. This is not something that hangs around your neck as a piece of jewelry. It's, that's fine, that's great, but it's so much more than that. And while we were sitting in that design meeting about that cross, <laughs> This line to this song, how deep the Father's love for us, kept ringing in my head. And of course, the line is, it was my sin that held him there. It was my sin that held him there. (laughs) I could not get that out of my head. And that changed the way that I thought about the rest of this process and I had this whole new mindset when designing the cross and so I came back I said let's sleep on it I came back the next day and I said make the cross rough make it rugged make it worn make it messy make it prickly make it make it you get slivers on it make it Make it messy because my sin is messy and your sin is messy and it's ugly I don't want a beautiful cross Because it's not realistic. Make it messy. Because sin isn't just messy, it's it's deadly. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin, the results of sin, the consequences of sin is death. If nobody steps in, our just punishment is death. Not just physical death, but even worse, spiritual death and a separation from God. And I don't even want to imagine what that is like. Wages of sin is death. Sin, we've got a a problem. It's it's not sin is just, oh, I messed up. Sin, Sin has its hooks in us. Death could be the final word for us. We are not as strong as we think we are. And sin is not a slap on the wrist. It's a deadly disease. It's a stain that you will continue to work out your whole life if you try to do this life on your own. 
It's a stain that you'll never get out. It's a pit that we have fallen into, that we are done for. You are forever stuck in that pit. That's what sin is. We cannot get out on our own strength unless a power outside of us reaches down with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and reaches down for us. That's Good Friday. That's Good Friday. Think back to the story that you were thinking of earlier that you love so much. Why does every story that you love have a rescue? Because yours does. At just the right time, Romans again puts it this way. Paul writes, Very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, somebody might possibly dare to die. We see that. It's in the movies. And we call it heroic behavior. But then he goes on and says, but God demonstrates a different kind of love. It's beyond our imagination. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you still have this perception, even on this Good Friday, that you don't deserve to be here. That somehow to be a part of a church community or to have Christian friends or to call yourself a Christian, you got to get all cleaned up. (laughs) And I just have this image in my head and I think that God is saying to us tonight, you don't need to go get cleaned up in the sink by yourself. He says, just come and jump in the ocean of my grace. That's the power of the cross. Some of you are so obsessed with trying to make yourself presentable before God, and he says, stop it. That's the point. You're not presentable, and I'm meeting you right in the middle of your mess. Right in the middle of it. And I love you just the same. And so we say, couldn't there be another way? Couldn't we just pretend that this didn't happen? Fast forward. But our sin is real. And the emptiness and the brokenness and maybe the loneliness that you feel in your own life tonight, that is very real because it's real for you. And some of you have been the instigators of pain and inflicted that on others. And sometimes it's been inflicted on you. And I think I can speak for all of us and say sometimes the hardest person to forgive in our lives is the person you look at in the mirror every single day. And tonight, if that's you, the cross is for you. Good Friday is for you. In order to overcome this, there's only one being, there's only one person that can defeat sin and death, and that's the one who holds the keys to life. And that is our creator, our savior. And so as we move forward in the story and the arrest and the gospel accounts concerning the final days of Jesus' life, we know that he was arrested, and I'll save you some of the details, but we read that they would arrest him and chain him, spit in his face, struck him with their fists and rods that would open up large, gaping cuts on someone's back that would become welts to which they would beat them and whip them again to where those wounds would reopen again and again to the point where the entire back was one giant bruise. 
says the guards took a crown of thorns, not a crown for a king, but a crown of thorns, four to five inches long, wrapped around each other, and it was shoved into Jesus' forehead to where blood was dripping down on his face where he could not even see. The guards blindfolded him and beat him and then drug him out into the public square where they reserved this spot for the worst of criminals and it said that they would flog Jesus 39 times. Why 39? Because 40 would kill a man. And if he's dead on the flogging stick, we don't get to have our billboard. Yet with the pain, the loss of blood, a lack of sleep, Jesus can hardly stand, and yet then, probably a splintery Roman cross is thrown onto his shoulder, and they make the guy, the weakest, carry it all the way up the hill to the town dump. And so as we continue, as we watch this next scene, keep an eye, catch a glimpse of those eyes looking right at you tonight as well as the heart of a mother. For those of you who are parents can only imagine the love that Jesus' mother feels for her son in this moment. Carrying an old Roman cross, Jesus was about to make everything new. Although no one knew it. And he can make the gospel new for you again. Even it's become normal. He can make it brand new if you let him. If you let him all the way in. There's a certain kind of love that is indescribable. We, we use this word love for a lot of different things, but that feeling, that emotion, that Oh, it's deeper than a feeling. It's, you know, you can't describe it, you can't put your finger on it, but that love that you feel for the people that are closest to you in this life, you can't quite describe it. And I, I used to think that I knew what love meant. <laughs> it's so much more than a feeling. Spouses, you know this. If it was a feeling, <laughs> a lot of you would have been out a long time ago because love is hard way more than a feeling. It's deeper than that. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a holy conviction. I, I used to think I understood what love was until six years ago when a small-town Iowa boy totally married up. And guys, you know this moment of watching your bride come down the aisle. And in that moment, I remember thinking, I, I hope I pray that this love is real, it's genuine, it's true to the point where, yeah, I'd, yeah, there's no doubt that I wouldn't give my life for her. And then, two years ago, a couple years later after that, standing in the hospital room holding our now two-year-old son Caleb in my arms and I'm thinking, I thought I knew what love was all about. And then I start to read these verses again, that we read these verses and we memorize them and we sing songs. Oh, I know what that's all about. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
that he sent his one and only son. What kind of a father, what kind of love would send their one and only son, the person that they love the most in this world, to die? It's a love you can't describe. This is your story. This is the deepest reality of our lives. That no matter how much darkness this world throws at us, Jesus is the only one that has the answer. A story where where all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your ugly habits, all of your secrets that you think nobody else knows, all of your doubts, all of your fears, all of your failures have been nailed to the cross tonight and they no longer define you. Leave it. If you do nothing else tonight, leave it there. And in return, you get his love. You get that kind of love that would endure that for you. If you ever doubt, if you ever doubt how much you are loved, look no further than the cross. That's God's seal. That's his promise. If this is not the defining truth of our lives, it's time to breathe it in again tonight as if it was the first time. And as Jesus takes his final breaths, feel that first breath of new life being offered to you. Let's continue our story. In his final breaths, Jesus cries out, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And in this moment of unthinkable vulnerability, Jesus cries out these words on the cross that are actually from Psalm 31 that he probably learned as a little boy growing up in school as a little Jewish boy. And he said, boys and girls, if you're ever in that place in your life where you feel so overwhelmed, And you don't know where else to turn. Just cry out. I'm crying out to you with everything that I am. Father, Daddy. Because I trust you. Because I've now completed the mission that you gave me, Daddy. And like a child collapsing into the arms of their father, Jesus breathes is last. And in this holy moment tonight, feel his final breath calling out to you. Commit it all to him as well. Entrust your spirit. Entrust everything that you are. Not just your Sunday self. Not just your religious life. All of it. Surrender it all to him as well and trust that his grace is bigger than your sin. That his love is stronger, will always be stronger than your ability to run away. 
And at the moment that Jesus' heart stops beating, God's heart could not have been beating louder for you. Calling out to you, this is how far I am willing to go. This is the price that I am willing to pay. This is the pain that I am willing to endure. Make no mistake about it. I have given you everything. I have given you my life. Now will you trust me with yours? With every breath you have left, tonight behold our sin. Behold your Savior. Tonight may we cling to the old rugged cross because we know it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And watch one last time as with his final breaths, the Son remind us once and for all, leaving no doubt for you tonight, how deep, how wide, how vast, how strong, how deep the Father's love for us for you, for you.